thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Mara. And we're in the presence of a spunk. <laughs> Just saying. Oh my gosh, I haven't heard that since, <laughs> since the 80s, since I was a lot younger. Yeah, well, oftentimes the 80s call me and they want their language back. <laughs> yeah. well, they, also, they also want their hair back. I don't know, I'm not going there. I want my hair back too. <laughs> See, I'm so funny, I don't even know what to do with myself. Everybody, let me introduce you to somebody that is um, just, I've only just really met him, although Cindy thought we had met each other a long time ago, but we're in the presence of Marcus O'Meara. No, he's not met Love. He's not married to Howie. Marcus Lovett. No, Cindy's my sister. Got it. (laughs) Marcus Lovett. Now, Marcus, from what I've heard and what Cindy's been talking about and being Cindy's brother, I can really see the family resemblance. But I tell you what, it's like it's like you're a rock star with everything that you've been doing, everything that you've created. And the most recent project, project that you've been working on is the one that I'm most familiar with is the movie that you've made, What Ate My Mother. Right. And obviously that's Cindy's mother. So... I'm super, super, or we're all super keen to hear about that, but I think it would be like uber groovy to hear your story and all of your travels because just in the last, like, 30 seconds before we came on air, um, Cindy did a bit of a quick run-through of all of your rock stardomnicity, and I think we all need to know about that. Okay, first up, I'm tone deaf, so I'm not a rock star. <laughs> no, you must be then. That's yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I've lost yeah. it all through Barbara the Barbara Streisand's t- tone deaf. Is she? Yeah, and doesn't she have the voice of an angel? Yeah, look Don't at that. Don't ask me to sing. Oh, no, sorry. Ready? Oh, no, Come no. on, Marcus. I'll sing with you. Ready? Me, 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 me. I only do kids' songs now because, you know, I've <laughs> two kids, so it's like... No, getting onto oh the rock stardom. You know, I thought I was a rock star when I became a freestyle skier and was traveling the world just competing. Oh, so that was it, and that's when I felt I was cool. That was in the eighties when I had lots of hair, wore a headband, rollerbladed. (laughs) Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> they're twins. Oh, oh, we're oh, twins. They're, they're yeah. soul brother and sister. He's my brother from another mother. <laughs> so you were a freestyle snow skier? Yes. Wow, sir. So how long did you do that for? Gosh, 10 years. It would have been 10 years and then I coached for a few years. You see, it was all this big plan. When I finished high school, I didn't, you know, my friends wanted to be doctors and lawyers and I thought, what do I want to do? And I went, you know, I just want to travel the world and have a good time. Well, that's, so, that's the same story as Cindy, <laughs> Exactly. Well, we got that same education when we, I was 11, Cindy was 15. Mm. We went on a world trip. Our parents took us on a three-month trip around the world. So uh, ever since then, I was like, no, I just want to keep traveling. And um, so that's what I wanted to do. So as soon as I finished high school, a week later, I was in the States. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I had a job washing dishes Look, at night, skiing just, all day. Just let's just tell them why you were in the States a week after you finished high school. What did mum and dad give you for your birthday? <laughs> a Wait one-way for ticket to America. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. Don't read into that. No, I've got a son about to finish high school in a few years. You've just given me a friend. A Thermomix for Taylor and a one-way ticket for Jacob. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> to Afghanistan. Yes. Oh, 
now you know what this is what the deal actually happened because at the time I had a job at night while I went through you know last year of high school washing dishes at a Mexican restaurant, and they said we're all going to have Christmas in America. You've got to come. And I go, well, I've got enough money to buy a ticket. And they hummed and hummed and went, all right, we'll buy you a one-way ticket. You just got to get yourself back. Oh, nice. And so, that, so I thought, right, I got the one-way ticket. And because, you know, we have U.S. passport because of our mum, it was just like, oh, sweet, I'll just stay there and got a job washing dishes, skiing all day. Oh, happy oh, day. Living in a car. Oh, I only lived in a car for a little while. I, only, oh, no. I did that hang later. On, hang on, living in a car for a day. Is, no, that was kind like, of it was, ordinary. It was a few weeks. <laughs> no, it was quite a while. No, no. the winter. I got there at winter. <laughs> Did you shower? Occasionally. Right. Okay. Did you eat yellow snow? Oh, that's right. I had a. I, had a, I was a member at a gym. This is insane. Look, now we're getting out of, out of whack. <laughs> I had an apartment, and it was at the end of winter that the the contract ran out. The apartment. I had no money left because we'd just been on a big holiday down to New Mexico and Utah. That I went. Uh, I had a car. And I was given to me, and so I thought, because by a bunch of Kiwis, I went back to New Zealand. Hey. And so hey. I just, um, it was massive. It was a Plymouth Fury 3. So if anyone knows what that is, it's like the biggest Yank tank you can buy. And they gave and, it to you. And, well, and to mind until they came back next winter. Nice. So I just, I could sleep full length on the back of the seat of the car. <laughs> no problem. And I used to drive up to the, up, like, up to the old gold fields, like way up in the mountain to sleep at night. And what about the brushing of the teeth? And <laughs> oh, There's God. a lake. You just brush your teeth in the lake. I'd park next to this little mountain lake. She's a princess, trout. Marcus. She's a princess. Oh, yeah, she has no like idea. That. It's no. so fantastic up Keza. there. You're sleeping at like 12,000 feet. Keza. Mr. Bear Grylls. Ah, <laughs> uh, got it. Yeah. Same, same. Same, same. They call me Mrs. I, but, Bear Grylls. I tell you right now, I would have starved because I tried to fish those little mountain trout oh. and I thought that's how I was going to eat. <laughs> Buy potatoes and have potatoes and mountain trout. I could never catch those things. <laughs> Luckily, I worked in a restaurant. so I could, You got the scraps. Yeah. <laughs> so they do eat the meals off the plates that don't get finished. Marcus did. Marcus did. Oh, no, that's another story. That's in Switzerland when I couldn't afford to eat, but that's another story. Uh, oh, Marcus, wow, what a, what I, would, a I would love to know. You're saying that you were skiing and you were having a bit of a blast and everything, yeah. but it sounds to me like you actually got quite good. So at what level did you get to? Well, okay, this is getting back to I had one goal, to travel the world and have a good time. So the problem was living in Colorado washing dishes – I don't have any money to go anywhere. So I'm skiing one resort. I'm going, this is not traveling the world. I'm having a good time, but I'm not traveling. And I went, and I got to know the freestyle skiers. And they used to go off to all these competitions all the time. And I went, that's me. That's oh me. I'm going to get good enough to compete. So then I started competing, just doing local Rocky Mountain events and then traveling with the guys. You know, to the, and that was just Colorado, though. I know I had to get further afield. You know, Colorado is not the world. So then got on the Australian team, you know, came back to Australia. Got on the Australian team, and then next thing, you know, flying to Europe, and then travelling around Europe. Gee, he must have been up. good. He he's very good. And look at <laughs> the face he goes on. He, he is very good. He was good, and he is really good. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. You, and you see him go down he's a got mountain. Shy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you took his little When you see Marcus go down a mountain, it's pretty. It's pretty is awesome. She good? Yes. Is Cindy good? So Cindy is good. Now that see here's go back a backstory to backstory. <laughs> Cindy was probably a bit of an inspiration to go skiing for the season because Cindy did it first. She did it at False Creek. Yeah. And she worked 
for my business partner, who was my business partner for 15 years, she worked for their parents and they became friends and that's how I first met him. And then we both got into freestyle together. We both competed together. Then we coached together and then we made a TV show for 15 years together. Wow. Mark Stephen and I. And his mum actually inspired Cindy to get into nutrition. <gasps> oh, is wow. that for real? Yeah. And, and what's really interesting is that um, Mark and I skied quite a lot together and Marcus would join us. And I'll never forget this one day. So Marcus, I was, you know, Mark was an Olympic skier and I was learning to ski with him. And so I was keeping up with him and Marcus would just come up on occasional weekends, wouldn't you? Yeah, I was just a grom though. Because it was I, a, I you were 15. Years. He What's was like grom? 15, a little oh, grom, a little, little thing. A kid. Yeah. That must be an Australian thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he would... It? Grom, no, Grom's a... Surf, it's a surf Maybe it's a surf skiing thing, yeah. It's just young skier, surfer. We have to take it to Hotham. We've got to take it somewhere. Anyway. So those guys were all, I'm chasing them around the mountain trying to keep up. I just remember falling down the mountain all the time trying to keep up with Cindy. So Cindy was like way better skier than me. Wowza. And I always remember him saying, one day I'm going to be better than the both of you. (laughs) True to his his word. True to his word. I never got better than Mark. Don't you think? No. In ID, in, he couldn't do freestyle like you. No, no, no. I mean, he, he's, he as a skier was a better skier than me. Yeah. As an aerialist, no. Yeah. So what, what is freestyle? Yeah. yeah. Was he going to ask the same yeah. question? Yeah. yeah. Freestyle skiing has evolved over time. I mean, it was born out of skiing was just ski racing. And then in the 70s, people started skiing bumps because everyone skied all over the hill and there was just this crazy sport where they were just, you know, like kind of like skateboarding, all these things. They just try new stuff. It was kind of the new sport. And then from that... It, Freestyle became three events, ballet, moguls, and aerials. And you used to compete in all three, and it would be the best out of all three of those events. And ballet, which was like well, like ballet, you did it to music, and you did a routine down a hill with short skis, and you'd do somersaults. And wow. It was like figure skating. What? And then you had mogul skiing, which was just skiing down the bumps, and you had just had to be the most fluid down the bumps and do two airs. And then aerials, which was two jumps, where you had to do as big... Big jumps. As many flips and twists as you could and hit the ground and oh. ski off without... Did you, without breaking your neck? Yeah, without hurting. <laughs> and did you? Did you? Oh, I did both. They hurt sometimes. And sometimes <laughs> I landed and skied away. But you never broke your neck? No, no. no I never broke my neck. I broke, uh, I split some ribs, <gasps> broke some fibias. You, cal- um, you broke your heel bone? Broke my heel bone, smashed my calcaneus to half its size. Um, yeah, this oh, is heel your bone. solid heel, heel bone. bone. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, what was interesting is Marcus was at the forefront of um, the freestyle ski circuit and sometimes they would make jumps that didn't work and they would do a flip and they'd end up not on the slope of the, of it, but they'd end up on the, the flat of the, of the slope, which Marcus did because a, a jump was not done right. Oh, because wow. you were in the beginning, you know, you were the first at the Olympics. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was not like it is now. Everything's measured in the angle of the jump and everything like that. We we're kind of, we just rock up, build a jump. Hopefully it's all right. <laughs> And you go up and then someone would be the guinea pig. And oh. and it gave you power when you were the guinea pig because it was just like, yeah, yeah, I'm better than all you guys. I yeah. did it and I landed and I skied away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except this one time where I hit the ice and smashed my heel and I was carried away and, you know, oh. it didn't jump for a year. Like yeah. I was out for it. It was like one of the worst. It's the worst pain of it. Yeah. Hey, so yeah. can I ask a little sidetrack question here? What was it like growing up with Cindy O'Meara? Mm. <laughs> it was like fighting for food all the time. You know? It still is. 
<laughs> Mum was like, you know, the typical Midwest American mother that would cook all the time, you know, and cook cookies and always cook dessert and pie. So I'd be like having to get home from school before Cindy got to the cookies or I'd miss out. Or, and it wasn't just Cindy, it was Cindy and her friends. And then sometimes her friends would just rock up even when Cindy wasn't there to cook the cookies. It's true. It is so true. It is so true. Oh, my God. So it was a struggle for for survival. Okay, here's another question. Did you ever have a fling with one of her friends? I'm just asking. You know, I always wanted to. Yeah, I wondered that. Because they were five years old and they always looked at me and they go, oh, he's so cute, and pat me on the head. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, obviously I had no chance. wondered what that was like having an older sister yeah I mean it would have been cool if she was only one year older yeah, yeah, but yeah. I was nearly four years older and Lisa was five and a half years older so yeah. all the girls were a lot older and so okay a question for you was he like golden bollocks being the baby the boy yeah the... I got spoiled yeah, I think so. what you mean? Yeah. oh yeah yeah for yeah, sure yeah, I, I think he was spoiled and he got away with a lot more than Lisa did and I'm like the middle child and you know it was middle child day syndrome no it's oh. middle <laughs> child day do they have a middle child day now yeah because they're special needs they need one. <laughs> oh, they so me being the middle child and Casey my daughter being the middle child we celebrated middle child day so <laughs> families of over like mum came from a family of 11, 11 kids yeah who's the middle so that means there's Steve. nine of them nine middle kids or there's the middle kid the middle, middle kid is middle, Steve middle. oh okay I thought there'd be nine of them all the middle no so Steve's you, right in the middle did you grow up with the same have you had the same philosophy around food and well-being and health and obviously you haven't been immunised yeah. and all of that sort yeah, of yeah thing. yeah I, I mean I say this all the time have I'm a victim of Cindy's last visit. <laughs> so she comes and she'll be telling us about what she's been doing and reading and how she's eating and, and, oh, and this is what I'm into now. We're still eating the stuff that she told us about last visit. And then something, oh, these, you know, green smoothies and we're eating green smoothies until they're coming out of our ear. And then she comes going, oh, that's so... It's so yesterday. Yesterday. We don't drink Today. that stuff anymore. We, we now do omelettes for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! So, oh my gosh! It's yeah, a bit sad. Was, and of course, you know, we had mum was fairly health conscious and dad you know, we was. It up. But as soon as I left home, because I just absolutely loved desserts, I ate desserts solid for a whole week. The the day that like, I got out of that house, I was just like, I can eat whatever I want. <laughs> I had apple pie, I had, you know, the little slice. I just ate dessert straight away. And boy, was I sick by the end of the week. I was like the hungry caterpillar. I had to eat a green leaf. And um, finally got back to a normal balanced diet soon after that. One week away from home. Yeah, most kids do that, though. I remember when I left home and got my first job, I went, oh, cool. I can go and buy chocolate and eat whatever I want, when I want, and no one can say no. <laughs> and I remember as soon as I got my first paycheck as an apprentice beauty therapist, and I think I was, I think I got $99 uh, for my first week's pay, I went straight down to the local sh- the local store, and because I was living at home, $99 worth of chocolate <gasps> came home with me. Oh, and I inhaled that. And that's like $29 you know, worth of chocolate back in the 70s, right? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, we'll just okay, cut the recording now. <laughs> I just assume everybody is our era. That's the problem. Marcus, yes, no. So I just want to come back into you. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're skiing in America. We've now skied for Australia. Did you study in anything? Like, did you want to go anywhere with a career? Or was your career skiing? I told you. Travel the world and have a good time. Right, that doesn't interest So how did I travel the world and have a good time? I got good at skiing so I could do World Cup. After a while of competing, you start hurting yourself. Yes. And I go, the coaches, 
they travel the world and have a good time, but they don't have to worry about competing and getting hurt and stressing out about the event. I'm going to coach. So then I coached. And so then I coached um, Kirsty Marshall for a while and she was, uh, you know, became yeah, a uh, World Cup champion and, and stuff like that. And so it was pretty good, but oh boy, coaching. <laughs> Coaching elite athletes is hard work. It's like having babysitting. And, and we used to have these huge fights. It was like being married. We'd almost kill each other. And then it'd be like the next day we'd try and you know, work together and then we'd all but forget it. And then we'd try and kill each other again. So I thought, no, not coaching. Those TV crews, they're quite a filming. That's it. And then I don't have to go to events anymore. I can film anywhere I want. So then we did the TV show for 15 years, traveling the world, having a good time. Filming and then after 15 years of that, though, I was kind of like, I just need to do something a bit more deep and meaningful than just travel the world and having a good time. I still want to travel the world and have a good time. That hasn't changed, but more in a deep and meaningful kind of way. Hence the movie. Yeah. Mm. That, that movie, let's talk about the movie. So what inspired you to do the movie? Let's Explain to us what it's about, why you did it, and how long. Give us the story. Well... I mean, obviously, it came from mum dying, and then it was a, it was very surreal because here we are, the, the healthiest family in the world. <laughs> mum was going to be live to a hundred, and there was you know it was no problem. She was going to live to that age, and we all believed it. Everyone and everyone was saying how fantastic mum looked, and then she gets sick and she's going to die, and instead of and I look back now and it's like instead of us all getting in and going, hey mum, we're, we're going to Fight this. Now, I, I arrived, uh, like, basically in the last uh, two weeks of her life. Oh, I no, was you there. were there three, four weeks? Well, three three or four weeks, but yeah. the last uh, kind of two weeks, I was kind of the main carer. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I was just like, I remember giving up. And it was just about saying to mum, oh, yeah, it's like, you know. It was kind of like pacifying it to die. And it's not until now that I go, that, that is so not us. But we, we did do that. And yet we had all this knowledge of health and how to get better and what we could do and stuff like that. But it was just like... You, you came to terms with it. Yeah. It was kind of like I went through the five stages of grief, got to, you know, acceptance yeah. and go, let's go, let's hang with acceptance. And then at one stage, I remember mum, it was like two, three days before she died. She's, she, she'd been calling everyone, going, saying her goodbyes. You know, it was like this real, I'm on my way out. This is it. It's over. And she goes, I've changed my mind. No, I want to live. Oh, bless, bless. <laughs> and um, I go, okay, mum. She goes, all right, get on the phone, call everyone and tell them. And I go, I'm not going to call everyone. I go, you've got to, you know, do it first and then I'll call everyone. And then, you know, it's kind of like this with mum. And, and, I mean, she'd been meeting with a Buddhist monk and she'd been talking with a priest and she'd been <laughs> hedging all her bets with the religious <laughs> um, I'm surprised I didn't see any um, Jewish uh, <laughs> Guys, there. <laughs> <laughs> but mum, mum was hilarious though on those last years. She was funny. I mean, I just remember laughing all the time. But she, you know, gave that hell. But it was all this like just, okay, mum. All right, let's just let's just go now. You know, right? You want to go? Let's just go. We're all sitting around waiting for her to go. Yeah. And um, and it went around my head. Why? You know, we know how it was mesothelioma, it was asbestos, and stuff like that. But it was just like, but why, mum? We all lived in the same environment. So as the, the, the ski show was kind of winding up. I wanted to do a documentary. And I was kind of, I was going to do about our, the history of mum's family, which is the largest hemophiliac family in the world and, and that sort of thing. But it was kind of like, just struck a chord with me. If not everyone that breathes in a carcinogen dies of that car, you know, mm. dies, mm. then what are the other factors that cause people's death? Mm. So you start 
interviewing people. And so the first person I went to speak to was um, a guy, uh, Professor Henderson in Adelaide. He's the world authority on mesothelioma and asbestos-related cancer. And he goes around the world turning over court cases. And I go talk to him about it. Okay, can I just interrupt you there? How do you just ring one of the world authorities in the world and say, ghetto, mate, just wondering if I could interview you? Is that what you did? Yeah, that's what I just did. How did he? So he just answered I just the phone. Yeah, I mean, you just call these people. I mean, they're happy to give, wow. to, to impart their knowledge. I think right. anyone that's got, like, a heap that of knowledge, they're happy to give it, cool. give it over. And, I mean, it's not like he's a rock star. Not like me, not you know, like I have you. an entourage and, and I have a chief of staff. He didn't have a chief of staff. And how so. lucky we are to be in your presence. Yeah. <laughs> We're just but, saying. He wrote his but, bike round. Really? Hey, wait a minute, I just got to talk to my chief of staff. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, actually, I know I did talk to his assistant most of the time until okay. I went to, to the interview. But, yeah, he was happy to do it. And... Um, he was fantastic, but the one thing that they always say, you know, they go, well, it's this, it's genetic predisposition, blah, 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 and then they go, and, you know, and luck. And then, you know, so I did that, and then I spoke to um, uh, Tim, Tim Crow yeah. from Deakin University and uh, talks about food and diet and how it plays in our health and, and in, in the prevention of disease and, and speaking to him about Now, I could have spoken to Cindy about this. But I didn't – she's already in it. She mm. already features in the film as family. And so yes. I didn't want to make her the expert as well. So I picked someone else. And he kind of talked about it. He talks about, oh, and luck. And then – actually, I don't think he did say luck. Not, Most not of him say luck, though. But um, Craig Assad, who wrote oh, – mental blank on all these things. Dr. Craig Assad, he's a lecturer for general practice at Monash University. And he's written a Numerous couple of books. books yeah. yeah um, Essential. Essential. I can't, oh, I can't believe it. Anyway, mm. he's in the film. Watch the film. I've mentioned the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, you know, bad luck. And then I go talk to an oncologist at Royal Melbourne Hospital mm. and, you know, he mentions bad luck. And mm. it's just like it really irked me that there must be more. Yes. Of all this science and all this thing, there must be more than just bad luck. And obviously there's a lot of people that think the same as me. So it's just going on, well, finding out, well, what, eight months? You know, it's just like I lived in the same environment. I had the same, pretty much the same diet. Mum was an active woman. I was active. You know, there, there's so many similarities. Why aren't I dead? Why isn't Cindy dead? Why isn't my dad dead? And um, so that's that's the journey. Mm. And so it was like interviewing all my uncles and aunts. We went to a family reunion. And that was another reason. We were going to this family reunion, so here was an opportunity everyone was going to be together. And, and it was mum's family, wasn't it? It was yeah, all it was mum's, mum's family. Yeah. Remaining family. Yeah. Because that's another story that's about true. how all her brothers have died. And so it was great to sit there and chat with them. And since that mm. interviewed, um, my Auntie Claire has died from cancer, from mm. leukemia. Did she finally? Um, she, she, had, she had breast, cancer, she had breast cancer and then she had, well, she had a liver condition and then she had leukemia and she passed away um, between Marcus filming and then and the movie coming out, the documentary coming out. Yeah, because she's on the film. Yeah, she's on the film and then Marcus at the end says, you know, since well, this time. So it, yeah. It definitely had a track. Like it was in my head too because mum talked about a bit of the, the hard hardship they had when they were kids and, you know, and we're always blaming our parents or blaming <laughs> stuff that happened when we were younger. You know, we always want to you know, blame someone. Something. No one wants to take responsibility for their health. That's always somebody's fault yeah. or someone can solve it. And, uh, well, they were born with it. Yeah. So I went on this angle about Grandpa, who was a bit of a tyrant and, and uh, abusive 
in certain ways to the family. And so all my questioning was about that because I started the documentary and I hear in documentary making, if you finish with the same story that you started with, you weren't listening along the way. So lucky I did listen along the way. Yeah, yeah. Because they, someone, they all started saying the similar things about mum. Things that I didn't think of. Things that were like I knew, but everyone said the same thing. Cindy said the same thing. They all said, but not consciously really saying. So what was that grand, same thing about how mum coped with all their deaths and yes. was quite stoic and was quite martyred? I call well, mum the Stepford mum. She was the Stepford wife, the Stepford yeah. mum, the Stepford friend. Everything Stepford had to be perfect. Sister, yeah. everything was perfect, and. I never saw her cry as each of the brothers died. Do you? Yeah. Each of her brothers died, you know, and they all, I don't know if people know the, have we talked about this before? We have. So if people have been listening that, you know, mum um, was the oldest of 11, seven brothers, six were um, hemophiliacs, they passed from AIDS due to um, blood transfusions, as did two wives and one child. So we lost a huge amount of people to AIDS, but I ne- we never saw mum cry. No, and mum didn't ever have a ch- chance to grieve. Yeah. You know, she was always in Australia. She got back to America a few times and helped with her brothers and, and you know, in their, in their later years. But, and um, maybe being the oldest too, there was an expectation or the, on herself maybe to carry the, carry the flame, carry the I'm, the I'm sure like it was and, – and my auntie Mary put it so succinctly at the end of the film, she talks about going, when we brought up, there was 11 kids yeah. and there was a farm to run. And, you know, you didn't have time to sit down and talk about your feelings. Mm. And so you, you weren't, she said, we weren't told to hold it in. It was just, you just didn't do it. It wasn't expected to talk about it. Let's just keep going. Let's yeah. just keep the, you yeah. know, the ball Stuff rolling. Stuff up a lip. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> Almost English. Mm. Mm. <laughs> no, because no, there was one part in the film. Yes. You're quite openly discussing the fact that it's important to relieve oneself um, tell us your point on that whole side of that, Marcus. <laughs> that was quite interesting. If you don't use it, you lose it. Yes, yes. And what were what we, we referring to? Mm. Let's explain <laughs> to Karen. Karen hasn't I watched seen it. The movie Karen yet. hasn't watched the movie. <laughs> so I, I talk about supplementing your sex life. Let's just say before you go any further, Karen's favourite line is: uh, if she uh, can't, you must no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Must this go on air? If you can't swallow and chew it, no, it no, going no. in her mouth. No, no. If you're going to say it, say it right. I don't put anything in my mouth I can't chew or swallow. <laughs> no, I don't say anything about the swallow. So the skanky one over here. Oh, right. this. Well, I'm not even talking about that. Oh. <laughs> um, you just egged her on. Yeah, I know. It's well done, Kim me. Morrison. I that's all I'm, I'm talking about masturbation. I'm not talking about oh. oral. <laughs> <laughs> Although it all helps. I don't think it says it on the film, and I just like go, oh God. I know, and my wife wanted to t- take that out. And I said, nah, you've got to put something a little bit saucy in there. Can't just people, be like, uh, people remember that part. People remember Yeah, I know. Obviously, they do. I just remember sitting there going, wow, wow, he really is admitting to being a wanker. Oh my God. I have no problem. I have no problem. No, they say, you know, like for health reasons, right? Okay. The, your, your sperm is optimum uh, two to four days, right? Yes. So if you ejaculate every day, your sperm's crap and you're not going to get pregnant. Right. So not, not saying I'm trying to get you know, anyone pregnant right now. Right. <laughs> I've got my two kids. We're happy. <laughs> um, it's, it's about you, you, you. So a healthy body 
needs to move. Now, there's some people are totally against this, like, ah, uh, there's some Buddhist thing about yes. keeping it internal and that sort of thing, and, which tan- I know nothing tantric. about. Tantric. Tantric, yeah, yeah. Tantric. So I, I don't know anything about Not that. I know but about that. let's say in, in Western world... <laughs> Everybody's shaking their head. No, no, we know nothing about that. No, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> but in the Western world, it's like you should ejaculate three times a week at least. Right. Round about that, you know, give or take. Right. So. What do you mean you give and he takes? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Oh, oh, sorry, the number. The amount of days, sorry, the amount sorry, of time. Sorry. <laughs> Frequency. <laughs> right, you are. So if sperm works oh, often in every three, two to four days, pick three days. So every three days, make sure you ejaculate, replenish, and keep it all going. Right. And because you should be able to keep doing that until you're okay. 100, until well, you die. here's another question for you then, yeah. on that level. Mm. So as a top skier, because my husband played sport for New Zealand, played cricket, yeah. so there was this whole debate around men, whether they should or shouldn't, before yeah. they do a big Boxes, performance. same thing. Same. Boxes, yeah. So what's your feelings on that one? Uh, there was something just done recently. Oh, the World Cup, soccer. Yes. They talked about some of the mm. teams that were to abstain from sex. Mm. Didn't say abstain from masturbating. They no. could have been, you know, going crazy with their mobile phones. <laughs> but it was abstaining from What's sex, which, da- you know, depending on, you know, if you're going for the three-second <laughs> win, then I'm sure that's good for you, but going for a, you know, two-hour with several groupies is not going to help your performance next day. But, yeah, they found that the teams that weren't told to abstain, uh, well, one, you know, they yeah. did better. The teams oh, is that, that right? Yeah, I can't remember which teams were told to abstain, but they didn't make it through. <laughs> you you got to wonder. It's just that's a little bit like, um, you know, um, people who what, – what's that correlation that Steve always talks about? Um, uh, people who get eaten by sharks um, or get attacked by sharks eat ice cream. That That's the cor- – it's a correlation uh, versus – Yeah, we all eat ice cream. Yeah, yeah, we all eat ice cream. We go to the beach and those people then, you know, it's just, it's just this thing that – I, I, look, I don't see that there is any, there's no correlation. Well, I thought it was interesting. I'm not sure yeah, whether I, I should Because imagine, like, if you need stress relief, like, you're tense before oh, an event. I, I think it would be a great idea. Well, what was interesting, <laughs> when I did some work with the New Zealand All Blacks, yeah. the, and the partners, pla- the players' that partners' your job program. The All Blacks, really. <laughs> ah, I wouldn't have minded that job. <laughs> oh, I'm your relief therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody requiring some stuff? <laughs> But there was a whole thing in LA. That's that's the thing, the relief massage, uh-huh. which ends with a you know, happy ending. Happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when we're talking about, you know, but I just know yeah, this is really important. This is really important because they, we're going to get. They had the players, and it was the same in the New Zealand cricket team. The players would stay in one hotel, and when the wives and girlfriends turned up, they'd all stay at another hotel. Ah. They decided to keep the players and partners separate, and it was same in our era. At the beginning of the time when I was in involved with Danny at the beginning of his career. And cricket. Yeah. Like they're like running, you know. <laughs> they don't do anything. They stay yeah, but, out there in the field with a Yeah, but beer. Danny's the bowler. Oh, okay. And the bowler runs. <laughs> I, I take offence to that. <laughs> anyway. I guess they're out in the field all day. My point is this <laughs> what is really funny is if you went, when we all would go to breakfast the next day, none of the boys were in their hotel. They were all at the girls' hotel, <laughs> so it was oh, like it was ridiculous. Funny. And I think that's when both union, both the probably the New Zealand Rugby Union and obviously the New Zealand Cricket Council, they all decided that 
rather than actually saying that you had been separate hotels, what I think they all came to the conclusion was, was that you weren't going to stop this happening. But then they started just putting time limits on when the girls and wives could turn up, which I understood, you know, like you wouldn't be there at the beginning of the tour. The girls could turn up towards the end of the tour and all that sort of thing. But it was, it it is a fascinating conversation that's always on whether someone or not performs better or that. And I don't know what the same for women, but it was an interesting point in your movie. That's why I brought it up that I just thought it's something that we don't talk about. Very easily. Oh, uh, no, exactly. And then in some religions, obviously, it's not the done thing. No. So if you're Catholic, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, Is that right? Catholics aren't allowed to do it. Aren't allowed to masturbate. I didn't know that. Cindy, Shame. you've no, neglected you go, your Catholic. You're, you're going to your perjury and hell and whatever <laughs> going the other thing is. What is it? I have to go to purgatory, <laughs> limbo, or hell. I won't make it to heaven. So you did? Oh, okay, very good. No, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was one of because I, you know, I haven't done anything with the Catholic Church for ages, but I Why? didn't know that was one of their policies. And you know what? They probably thought the boys were doing it, not the girls. Why? Well, yeah, and they, I think they, pro- <laughs> they probably hammered us as young yeah, boys yeah, exactly. at school when they were worried about the girls. I reckon they must have been telling the boys and not the girls. Yeah. So. I'm surprised they won't tell you. Make sure you put out all the time for the boys. Yeah. Because, you know, they're going to keep healthy. Yeah. Actually, Marcus, we were talking before um, uh, about your theories, things we're talking about, sperms and things like that. Um, we were talking uh, about your theory about how you got a boy <laughs> and got a girl. Are you going to bring that up? No, I think it's really – I actually think it's okay. really interesting. Okay, I just want to start this with – if you believe it, it's true. <laughs> now, the thing is, this theory, I believed it. it and it worked. worked. For me, and it worked. So, you know. It, so there's no science. There's it. no science. Well, but didn't you I read a did book? read up a whole bunch of things about yeah. it. And, and it doesn't make sense saying warm balls and cold balls <laughs> makes boys and girls because, you know, what about people living on the equator? They still have, you know, boys and girls. But it's the environment that you're in. So for me, and this is just a personal observation too. Of all the athletic friends that I had, they all had girls, and they all wore tight underwear. People that I knew that wore boxes all had boys, <laughs> and it seemed to be you know. And, people, and I know there's exceptions to the rule. There's heaps, of, and it's a fifty-fifty chance anyway on yeah, all this. Yeah. So I went with the theory, going, all right, I want a boy first. So I went, all right, get rid of all tight underwear. Or oh, actually, I didn't wear any underwear that that summer, that you know, that that year. Didn't no underwear, and bang, had a boy. Soon as he, you know, he came out, then it was like tight and battered, <laughs> wearing tight joints, keeping, keeping him up close to the body, and bang, had a girl. Wow. It was a 50 50 chance. That's, <laughs> That's, That's, That's his theory. Maybe you should alternate days if you wanted one of each and a twin. <laughs> I'm just putting it I don't know if they I thought twins was a genetic thing, but. There seems to be more people having twins mm. or do IVF. I think that's your I was going to say probably because it's coming through IVF. Yeah. Okay, so we've spent quite a bit of time on that. Have you had enough of that? Yes, I've had enough of that. Yes, yeah. yes quite. He is my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just realised that. That's that, so that, that kind of grossed me out a bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was, oh, you're just like, though. It's all right for us. We can carry on. Yeah, you can carry on. <laughs> Marcus, so then further on into the movie, what I loved about the movie is you kept coming back to the question, what ate my mum and will it eat me? What I took from it, because I kept wondering where the movie was going. And I think anyone should watch it. It's a, it's a fantastic documentary because, for me, it, it questions things. Like, it makes you question how you are because you've also had, a, both of you, your sister passed away from cancer, and yet you are a really healthy family. Now, I remember moving over here to Australia when your mum and your sister both passed away, and it was interesting that I was here for Cindy during that time. 
And I remember Cindy struggling a little bit for a while there, thinking, how can I carry on telling the world to eat well and be well when I've just lost two of my family members to cancer? And and so that's, yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, food is not the end, sorry, it's not the end all and be all of health. I agree, I agree. But we were brought up that chiropractic was the end all and be all of health. All you had to do was be adjusted, um, keep the the spinal cord uh, straight to keep all your nerve supply running and you'll be right. You don't have to worry about anything else in life, just get adjusted and and be straight. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, wait a minute, you know, diet plays a role which was much later, actually. We still lived on that theory of that chiropractic adjustment solved everything. And it did for me because I believed it. It was true. And, mm. But the advantage uh, that we had was that mum was an amazing cook. She cooked everything from scratch. That was yeah. our advantage, even though we believed that it was chiropractic that did it all and that was the belief that we were given, we were still eating really well. Yeah, we were eating well, but I was, you know, since I left home, eating desserts and then, you know, eating McDonald's and KFC and all that sort of stuff. Mm, no. Yeah. Oh, I thought so. I did a road trip across America once, driving across, Marcus, and I had this goal that we are going to have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I remember, like, on the third day, no, McDonald's, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think we ever had McDonald's again. <laughs> well, there's that film, that guy that ate it for supersize me. Yeah. My kids never was, wanted yeah, to go to McDonald's again after that. He's done permanent damage to himself. Yeah, I see. Yeah, 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 I actually thought what? he passed away. Oh, no. no, no, he's still... No, no, he's well, somebody Quick knows. tweet that and... <laughs> tweet that. <laughs> no, no, start a rumour. <laughs> um, but that was fascinating. But from... This is, what, this is why I wanted to talk to you about your documentary. For me, documentaries are a way of expressing what we may be learning and feeling ourselves, but the beautiful thing about a documentary, particularly something like yours that's so personal and so open... And a lot of the documentaries out there now are expressing a lot of our thoughts and feelings, but they're allowing other people to understand how we're thinking and feeling. So it's creating what I'd call a community of like-minded thinkers who don't know how to say it or don't know how to express it. And by you bringing in experts plus experience, I just think that documentaries are a fantastic way to express that. And I really got a lot from, well, from your you. documentary. And, and the documentary in its own way was my way of grieving. You know, it was my. I was ask, yeah, of course. Of course, it was it's my your therapy. It was, yeah, it was definitely mm. my therapy, um, mm. and and definitely helped. Mm. Did you answer the question? What ate my mum and will it eat me? Did you manage to answer the question? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, that question is answered, and and the difference in me to my mum that make me despise. Actually, you know, I ended with you know, I my goal is to become a uh, centenarian. But when I first filmed it, I said centurion. And I left it. No one picked it up. And I almost sent it off to the, to, you know, the finished product with me saying, and I hope to live to be a, a centurion. centurion. <laughs> and then you know, and then I just realized, oh, my gosh, no one's picked it up. So I had to refilm the end and be centenarian because I'm not, yeah, a Roman soldier. But, um, <laughs> or and I don't want to be a Roman soldier. But you are a rock star. <laughs> so I can wear the girdle and the sandals as much as I want. Um, the point, oh, yeah, so... I mean, I have a goal to be a centenarian. Mm. And so what was different to mum, and, and this is research done in universities at, um, uh, at London, uh, King's Medical Clinic in London, and all, and even in uh, oh, the big one in Baltimore, oh, one of the other big universities. Yale, Harvard, no. No, What's no, in Baltimore, right? Baltimore, yeah. uh, John Hopkins. Oh. Uh, medical center and John Hoskins. They've done that, but they don't promote it. Like you, I spoke to them about their research and they said, no, we, it wasn't a big enough 
um, oh, study study that yeah. we don't want to put our name to because they said, oh, send me a picture of your university so I can stick it in that documentary. And they're kind of like, no, 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 don't just leave us out of it. I go, fine. Oh, <laughs> really? Fine, I won't talk about you. Scratch that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually, just an interesting thing I want to talk about, I wanted to speak to Peter Mack, which is one of the leading cancer uh, hospitals in the world. And a third of that hospital is psychology and psychiatrists. So I thought, oh, these guys would be fantastic to talk mm. to. So I'm calling up going, so what sort of um, therapy do you do, like about emotions or mental state for your patients? And they go, well, we don't do that. It's just not a holistic approach. Oh, no, no, no. It's just like we're just palliative. So they've got this whole psychology wow. department and it's just palliative care. It's about them dealing with you're going to die or talking to the family, she's going to die. And it's patting them on the back and going, you're going to die. It's not about, all right, can we heal this person? Can, can we find out what's disturbed them, you know, what issues? And it's a well-established fact about, you know, if you have struggle with grief or anger or, and all the different cancers that come from that. And there's more and more research being done on that. And a lot of time it's just, you know, it's, it's hippie stuff. Nobody wants to. But there is research being done on it. Well, people that follow Louise Hay, I mean, she brought her book out, was it in the 70s oh, or the 80s? Yeah, you know, yeah, you can heal your yeah, life. Yeah. And she wrote in there, cancer, deep resentment, anger, grief, fear. So that's what she believed was, or and, she and said was the body emotional. Parts. And the same with, you know, the, the lungs. Um, and the research from King's Medical Centre, they said basically if you have a loss and correspondingly don't deal with that loss, so that loss may not be a death, it may be, you know, Job, a, a up in a relationship or whatever, but you have a big loss, you don't, you'll have the same chance of getting a lung-related cancer as smoking. Wow. So, it, and how they come up with that, I've got no idea. Got smarter researchers than me. Mm. But, so that's mum had a lung-related, and she had a problem with grief. You know, she didn't, she didn't grieve. Mm. She held it in. And, and it's so important. So, you know, what, what I've learned is that you've, you've got to, Run with all your emotions. You just don't want to be happy all the time. You got to release. You got to. You got to release on and many so, levels. <laughs> so the answer, Not just your emotions. So the answer to the question then: what did yeah. what did you find definitively? You I'm a lot more me. emotional than my mother. Is that what it is? That you're yeah. more expressive? Yeah, I'm more expressive. Yeah, but you know, saying that it's not it's it's not a definitive answer. I haven't got like the panacea that's going to solve everyone's yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. It's just. That is the difference. Yeah, right. And now let's work with that difference. And, and Because and throughout the movie you talk about the similarities of all of you, particularly yourself with your mum, about mm. the activity, the, the ate the same food, lived in the same environment, like everything was the same and it kept going. But what ate my mum and will it eat me? And at the end of the movie it's... It is. That's the one difference that you had with her, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when, uh, the, when the researchers said, you know, it's this and it's that and it's this and it's that and then it's luck... Yeah. Hmm. A couple of months ago, we did a podcast with Steve, hmm. Cindy's Steve, and we were talking about, um, you know, research and scientific research and, you know, all the PhDs and all the, the, the scholarly study. And the question that I raised um, with Steve was that there's, a part of, that there's a part that science is only just starting to really explore now, which is consciousness and awareness. And there's that part that science, you know, the scientist knows that he's aware but because he can't measure it, he says he's not. So that part is almost as if that's the part that can't be measured. So if we can't measure that, let's put it to the side and let's just measure this physicality of what we can and then we'll say that that's what the reality is. 
long way around to my question, but did you find the kind of answers that you get that you got to your question were most more scholarly based rather than holistically based? I definitely went on the track. I didn't want it to seem like a hippie video. Sure. Right? There's a lot of videos out and they're great and they have great information. Mm. They've got these great people that are healing people and they're fantastic. Mm. But I didn't want to go Gotta that get the science behind route. it. I just wanted to do a story that was that was my story and talk to people that are experts in yeah. in in science. Because you know, everyone's going on about uh, evidence based. You know, everything's yeah. gonna be evidence based yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. And it's like they discount, you know, thousands of years of Chinese medicine, they discount mm. thousands of years of all the other medicines that have been done and, and modern medicine's only been around like oh, man, not even a hundred years mm. and not even that, yeah. Not even a hundred years and they're basing their whole Yeah. It, it's I mean it's a it's a crazy world that we're living in it right at now. Mm. But obviously what we're doing now is not working. Because science is missing the emotion, mm. is, and the emotion, and it's the it's the psychological part but, or the emotional. Part. But they do. The scientists are picking up on that. You know, now, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because when they do a test, whenever they do like uh, any sort of test, you've got to do a double blind test. Because yeah, yeah. what if the researcher, if he knows what it is, then he may influence the person as they're taking, yeah. you know, the placebo or whatever. Yeah. So it's kind of like they know that all this affects. Mm. In fact, and it's pretty obvious. I, I mean, you get to the end. If you had a perfect, perfect emotional. Um, character or, or perfect attitude. Mm. You probably could eat whatever junk food you wanted. You could probably, you know, do the worst Not things exercise. in your lifestyle. Not exercise. Do nothing, and you probably will live a long time. Mm. You know, it's my theory. I'm just, you know, yeah, saying yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah, but the yeah. problem is, it's almost impossible to be perfect. Mm. You know, if someone you're driving along in Melbourne, <laughs> traffic jam. You get ah, yeah. bastard, you know, just like, <laughs> um, oh, very, very taxi driver. drivers, you know, you just, you know, all oh, these little things, they just throw you all the time. So, yeah. and you know, and that's why they talk about, I mean, uh, the panacea really is being mindful of your emotions and meditation. Mm. If you're just, and, and I'm just noticing that having a, a toddler and they just drive you up the wall and, <laughs> and you're yelling at them and you find yourself getting really angry and then it's just like... I, 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 I go, now, why am I angry? So being mindful of why am I angry? Yeah, yeah. And it's because I'm losing control and it's my problem yeah. and it's not nothing to do with It's just like right. he doesn't know any different. And so it quickly brings me down and I, yeah. and I, I come, you know, I'm calmed down pretty quickly. Mm. But I'm still, you know, that anger still spikes. Mm. Yeah. So it's just more and more because although we're born with our emotions because our emotions are what save us and, they, and they've got it down. There's only four emotions. And all the rest come off those four basic emotions, which is fear, happiness, sad, sadness or grief, and anger. And everything's off that. So you're born with those to help you survive. Fear, obviously, to run from, you know, things that are wrong or, and, um, anger is, you need anger to create change. If something's not right, you've got to get angry about it to, to create change. You just don't want too much anger. And then, um, you need sadness. You need to reflect. You need to look back and, okay, what have I done wrong here or what's what's going on? How can I improve things? And then obviously happiness to mm. know so what we're love, living. So love is not in there. Well, love is. It's happiness. Love, love is. Of is, happiness maybe. Yeah, but is love an emotion? And then it comes down to, oh. you know, love. Love is all those things. Right. Don't is. you get angry at your partner? Haven't you been angry at Never. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, He's never. quite perfect. He's you know, quite perfect. I, I love, you know what I love? She's the Stepford wife, this one. <laughs> she is definitely the Stepford wife. Don't okay, you so agree? I'll answer the question, absolutely yes. <laughs> yeah. definitely. What, what Dad always says, the opposite to love is not hate. It's fear. It's indifference. 
Oh, indifference. Uh-huh. So if you don't care about someone that keen, you don't. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's the opposite to love. It's not hate. Hate. There's so much passion, and, and yeah, there's a lot of love in hate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Oh my god, it is indifference. Well, a lot of love and anger, I should say, not hate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. love and anger. Yeah. Did you enjoy doing the movie? Oh, for sure. You know, maybe cry all the time. Yeah. In fact, every time watching it, it would mm. cry, and sometimes talk about. It, I, I, I kind of get. Choked up, and especially with my Uncle Steve. And my Steve, uh, Uncle Steve had a lot of problems dealing with the deaths of all his brothers. And he finally did, you know, he went and saw a therapist. And, and finally now, he, you should see him in the video. You saw he yeah. just releases yeah. his emotions, you know. Yeah. But he had that bottled up for a long time. And it was his wife who was a nurse said, you've got to see someone. This, mm. We can't live like this anymore. You've got to see someone. I think and that's he's the key really to it. happy to talk about it. The key to it too is sometimes if we're brought up in a certain way or a certain environment or you had your parents to role model off and your mum mm. for all that time, do you think she taught you how not to be by being that way? Or did you? were you even aware? Were you guys emotional creatures when you were younger or did you just get on? You know what's weird, Dad? Our dad is... Flatlined. Flatlined. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he doesn't peak too much above oh. or below. You know, yeah. he does, nothing perturbs him but he... Yeah. Uh, he's just and is and that good? I mean, he's still going. He's still he's eighty. He's he's eighty six or eighty. Will he make a hundred? Do you think he'll make a hundred? Uh, I, I don't say, know. You say he's even toned, even keel. But I look at him compared to your mum, and I didn't know your mum for very long. But she was the perfect Stepford wife, and oh. I would never have known how she was thinking or feeling. But your dad seems very expressive. He seems quite oh, jovial maybe. and happy. Yeah, and I mean, dad. But okay, mum. Was if you played cards with mum, yeah. she'd be jumping out of her skin if she oh. got a good hand. I mean, you could always tell playing mum. You know, I talk about mum. It was like she expressed joy, yeah. unbelievable. Like oh, yeah. it'd be like, you know, we, we'd see something a balloon, a hot air balloon. We go, oh, there's a balloon. She goes, oh, there's two of them. My mum was yeah, mum was very very excitable. Yes, she what just was... the grief. Uh, she just didn't was she sad have a ever? Grief. No. I think she hid any sadness. Yeah. Was she angry I don't, ever? No. Well, I, oh, I've seen her angry. Oh, have you? Yeah, you'd seen her angry, you know, with Lisa. She was always like buttonhead oh, with Lisa. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Do you remember? Oh. Do you remember when, when Lisa got pregnant? Like Lisa got pregnant, unwedded Catholic family. And Marcus and I are out by the pool and all we can hear is screaming in the house. Yeah. And Marcus is going to me. What's happening? Because he's only, I don't know how old you were, 14, 13. Yeah. What's happening? And I went, oh, I think she's pregnant. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking to say this to a young, you know, brother. Oh, I think she's pregnant. <laughs> but yeah, yeah but, I but guess she did. Mom, yeah, she expressed anger and she would get yeah, angry with people. So and, then and, your point in the movie about emotions are, are, uh, was the difference. Yeah. If she expressed happiness and she expressed love and no, she... her grief is the difference. Exactly. Her ability mm. to express grief is a difference of term. Right. I've had the opportunity to express grief. I've, I, you know, actually with my sister's death and mum's death, we all spent a week together, the whole family, mm. and we talked about it. And we didn't just... It wasn't a long way away and I had to try and deal with it on my own. You know, it was really a fortunate thing that we're all together. Mm. And, you know, sharing grief is yeah. grief... Well, they say, they say pain turned outward is self-expression and pain turned inwards is cancer. Oh. Mm. And I think, I, I, you know, I think about mum and, 
you know, one by one, each one of those boys died and, and, you know, she was the oldest. She had nurtured them. Mm. And the, the first to die was our uncle Tommy and he was my age. Um, so he died at the age of 11 and then eventually, you know, they all passed away. But you know, when I saw mum at her most vulnerable was when my grandmother died and my, um, Marcus and my grandmother died the year that mum died. So in that 12-month period, we lost grandma, mum, and Lisa. So three generations of women gone. And I remember when grandma died, mum was distraught. She cried. She said, I'm now the matriarch of the family, and she took that on hugely because we were a huge family. So she took that on, and then I said to her, mum, do you want to go to the funeral? And and she said, no, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the funeral. And I went, why don't you want to go to your mother's funeral? She says, I, I just don't, I don't think I can do it. And then just after the funeral, Lisa got sick, like our sister got sick, and then, um, you know, mum went into frantic mode trying to, to kind of cure her. Yeah. Didn't she? I mean, it got down to that point because she watched her own mother mm. watch all her sons die. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's like we've yeah. said this, that mum yeah. didn't want to watch her own daughter die. No. no so it's like Lisa gets diagnosed with cancer and then mum gets diagnosed with cancer and quickly dies before Lisa has a chance to die. Right. Yeah. How did um, you two cope with all of this? Because, um, you know, that year was the year that grandma died and dog died. Um, Steve Irwin died. My girlfriend died from cancer. Um, Betty died, which is Howard's, um, you know, mother died. Um, mum and Lisa, you know. So we lost a lot of people that year and... Um, I, you know, I, I kind of think I was in a bit of a vortex. Mm. It was just like, I remember when Betty died, she was the last to die and, and how it said, Oh, I'm, I'm over this death thing. But I, I don't know. I, 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 I seemed to cope. Okay. I, I grieved through everyone. I cried for a year after it every day. I would take the kids to school. I'd be left in the car by myself. From the time I left Matthew Flinders till the time I got home, which was 11 kilometers, I cried the whole way home. As soon as I got home, I was fine, and I did that every day for probably 12 months. So that was my grieving. I grieved by myself in the car without anybody else around, but it seemed to help. And plus, I think um, the reading of books and, and getting a more a better understanding about death and dying and, and the whole process, I, I actually think for me it was I look back now and um, can I say it was a positive part of my life that I learned so but much. Exactly, you said that to me. Like someone asked you mm. after mum died, was it a positive experience? And your first reaction was, well, what are you talking about? Just like, and then you thought, well, mm. actually it was a positive experience. Mm. And actually I love funerals, not like, you know, mm. like weddings. <laughs> oh, honey, do you ever go to the wrong one? <laughs> <laughs> no. I always make sure I know the people at it. Yeah, no. Kim goes to the wrong ones. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, that's not a story. That's not a story. That wouldn't be so much fun. But no, but I look at it as a funeral as a celebration of the person's life. You're yes. not going there like we did for Lisa. You oh, know, yeah, it's a big party. Fun. Yeah, party. And, and it's, you know, one of the few times that you get everyone together mm. and it's such a fantastic time and to talk about them and think about your own mortality. Yeah. And so what about you now, Marcus? Mm. Where you are now, you've got two beautiful young, a baby and a beautiful little boy. What, what's it all mean to you now? Where are you at now? And what's next? Well, we can die at any moment. <laughs> so, I mean... Travel the world and have a good time. 
And <laughs> that is exactly right. Live, live in the moment and travel the world and have a good time. You know, sure, I have like my dreams and goals and stuff like that, but no, it's mainly just live in the moment, especially when you've got a two and a half year old. There yeah. is no other moment. <laughs> right there. And a three week. And a three week old. Well, there, wow. is, there is no, it's, it's a weird moment. <laughs> but, you know, and so my whole life's kind of just starting again, it feels mm-hmm. like for me. So I just turned 50 and uh, a week. After, mm. yeah, a week, week after, after Frida. Um, Frida was born. So it's kind of like 50 and it was, it was always like a big, 50 was going to be my big, yeah. I don't know, big year. But I didn't get to go and party or do anything. I had a bit of tequila with the midwife. You know? <laughs> that, that was my party. But so I had this plan on hiring a jumbo and getting all my friends and flying to a castle and yeah. doing track days at Nuremberg and um, uh, the, the Saxon ring, I mean, and, and doing all these sort of things. But uh, it ended up, no. And then I thought, well, okay, I'll go heli skiing in New Zealand. That was the next plan at Iraqi. <laughs> but just because the birth was coming, that wasn't going to happen. Then I thought I was going to go to Bounce. You know Bounce, the trampoline center? Oh, I love that place. <laughs> anyway, go to Bounce with a few mates and have some party pies afterwards. But no, that didn't happen. <laughs> it's, it's just, just tequila, tequila with the midwife. <laughs> tequila with the midwife. <laughs> Marcus, um, Kim asked the question, um, how did we cope with and I'd like to go back, and we didn't get your answer to how did you cope with mum and Lisa and grandma dying in that you, year? You, you cope with anything. I mean, everyone mm. copes. It's, yeah. it's like it's a, weird it's a thing. funny word. It is because yeah. you go like, how do you cope? I go, well, you just do. You know, I mean, people die. Yes. Uh, you know, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, worried about it. It's more sooner than later. I think the shock for me is that when like mum died way too soon, mm. Lisa. Lisa Hollow's story, I thought she was going to die 10 years beforehand. You know? So she's not been well for so long. So when it was kind of like it's peace. It was actually it. a relief. It, it was a relief yeah. for, for Lisa. Mama was just confusing because it was someone who had a goal to live forever. Mm. How long after did they pass that did you start the film? How long did it take for you to go? Oh, that's years. I um, They've been uh, gone nine years. Nine years. I, I started, mm. So seven, seven years. six years started going thinking about it when we were on the Fram reunion was mm. the start of it, actually, mm. when I kind of interviewed you and mm. we went over and interviewed everyone and then I went, all right, now I've got a story. Because, yeah. I mean, like, after making the TV show, I wanted to make documentaries and films. And so films with, you know, a good message and, and starting with the documentary, because I had no finance, it's first-time documentary maker, I thought, well, I've got all the equipment, I've got everything, I'm just going to do a low budget that I can do. So make sure I can film it all. I don't have to employ anyone. I can take my time making it. Mm. And um, I lost what the question was. <laughs> what was I saying? What, what's, well, oh, so how did I cope? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, we really went off. Um, That's how he copes. He avoids. Uh, avoids. Um, no, no, but how I cope is I make a documentary. <laughs> that is, Seven very, years that is very cathartic, though, mm. that when you're ready, you'll go down the rabbit hole with it and investigate, mm. you know, why it happened and how it happened. Mm. And then at that point you can probably make sense of it because at the time that it occurs – it's just such a shock. It's just like so unbelievable. Yeah, and but it was it. It wasn't until I was asked to write a story for uh, mesothelioma dot com, which is a US website about um, people dying from asbestos related cancers, and um, they asked me to write the story. And that's when I kind of realised that yeah, I just really was annoyed with ourselves mm. how we treated Mum's death. It was like we we were like the Peter Max Center. You know, we weren't there to help. We were just help, there to help a die. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, isn't that funny? I, until you said that at the beginning of this podcast, I didn't realise that that's what we did. 
I, mm. I, that's what I felt like we did. But I, it's not saying I don't regret. I, I don't mm. think we've done something wrong. Mm. It's what mum wanted. You know, mum, I don't know why she decided to check out, but she checked out. Well, we've said that. Yeah. You know, Lisa was dying. And so, so it's just like, well, we're just there to give you what you want. Mm. Help with the transition. It, because I remember um, we are all, there was a whole group of us around and I, mum was um, laying on the couch and so I decided to go and just spend some time with mum on the couch and I just said, mum, have you thought about dying? She would not talk to me about it. And when I spoke to dad about it, I said, Dad, did, in your quietest moments in your bedroom, when you were laying together, did you, did mum ever say, when I die, I want you to, you know, go and find somebody else or I want you to look after the children or, you know, even though we're adults, but in your, in your quietest moment, did she ever talk about her death? And mm. he said, no. She refused to speak about it. And, and in those last weeks of her life, she, Gave Dad so much grief. Did she? Oh, yeah. Dad could do nothing right. Wow. I had to do everything. You know, it was just like um, he just she wouldn't let him do anything. Dad would try and kind of get close. And Mum just was, as they say, that you hurt, you know, just as you're checking out, you hurt those people closest to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and I really felt for Dad. And I'm sure Dad was just, it was a relief when Mum finally actually died. Maybe because that's those last part few of, weeks but maybe that's so normal. And maybe that is because sometimes even as families, you know, when someone's leaving or going overseas, often you'll have a breakdown or, you know, an argument or something over something, and it makes it easy to say goodbye. You know, like people mm. do do these strange things to one another when they don't want to face the fear or the pain or the hurt of leaving each other. So maybe that was just her way of making it easy for him to be relieved she'd gone. But then I have a question that's just coming into my head now that I've never even thought about. Was mum happy in her marriage? Well, yeah, and then that, I mean, I was thinking about that as Kim was saying that. Yeah. Was, was she really happy because, you know, as we said, mum was kept this stiff upper lip and kept up this stepward wife wow. kind of appearance. So, and I've never even thought about that before. I always thought mum and dad were the, the perfect. We always thought they were perfect. Lisa didn't think No, that. Lisa never thought that. You know, it's that. funny. We all have the same upbringing, but know, Lisa looks at our... Yeah. yeah, have a different perception of our upbringing. Than Lisa, Lisa reckoned she had the, the, the childhood from hell and Marcus and I thought we had a fairy tale. We thought we had happy days. <laughs> we thought we were happy days. Brady days, whatever. No, we, we had it. So, Marcus, where can people get a hold of your documentary? How can they watch it? Um, well, they can buy it from Changing Habits. <laughs> But they can also watch it online at, um, or they go to the website, whatatemymum.com. Whatatemymum.com. And, and if you're mom? American, M-O-M, it'll still take you to whatatemymum.com. Okay, I got them both. I got a question on you. <laughs> and uh, they're right there. You can watch the teaser and then you, um, you and, can download it. And Changing Habits has this solid, you know, like if you want to buy the DVD. The DVD. A lot of people don't want to download. They mm-hmm. want, you know, the yeah. solid version. Well, we have the DVD. And if you're a Food Matters if, yes, uh, that's right. Some food your, Matters. Yeah, be out yep. there. I uh, got Food Matters TV. Well, then you can watch it with your subscription with Food Matters. That's true. Yeah. And so, what's your intention with it? Is it just out there now, getting a life of its own, or what's your intention with the movie? Um, the it's a lot more than the documentary because I see this as the first of three. Oh wow! So the second one will be a lot more objective. Yeah. And. So it won't be my personal story anymore. It'll be just talking about emotions. Right. So what are, what are emotions? Yeah. And are emo- how uh, important are emotions to our health? Yeah. And then the third one will be how to have healthy emotions. 
Cool. Which, as I said, you know, if I want to say basically is um, be mindful of your emotions and meditate. But there's, you know, there's there's more to it than that. So that'll be the third one. And then in the in the meantime, I guess I'm trying to make myself the conduit for emotional health. Yeah. So, you know, get all the experts together and get them and hopefully, you know, I can do more than just, you know, films and maybe uh, conferences or books or things like that. Fantastic. So, I mean, there's lots in the pipeline. This is kind of just the first intimate personal story. And I think I think we're primed and we're ready for it because mm. I think people mm. now, there's this great groundswell of people who are really waking up to the fact that our emotional health contributes massively to our physical health, and we don't necessarily put a lot of attention to it because we're too busy running up hills and lifting kettlebells. Yeah, but I, I think it's still a big step because, I mean, it was always there. You know, you go back 100 years ago, that's how they healed people, and now mm-hmm. it's just like it's been taken out, yeah. and there's lots of people that have still been carrying that torch. And it's been, uh, you know, and this is one thing I don't want with my film to go to the, you know, preaching to the converted. Mm-hmm. It's no use talking to people that already explore, mm-hmm. who know Louise Hay. They'll mm-hmm. look at me and go, oh, so passe. I don't think they would. I think some do. It's, but I'm trying to get more. You know, here I'm just a regular. You know, I'm regular guy. You know, I'm a stunt actor. So I'm like this. He's a flipping rock star. We didn't talk about the stunt acting, did we? No. But but so, like, I'm just a stunt actor. I'm not some hippie guru or anything like that. I'm just, uh, you know, a guy that likes to ride motorbikes and travel the world and have a good time. (laughs) And. So I, that's where I'd like to do it and to make people mindful of their emotions. Very cool. Can, can we just um, finish on one thing? And I, and I found this absolutely fascinating when we were talking the other day, Marcus, is that the two things that you say to do is be mindful of your emotions and meditate. Would you like to tell everybody when you meditate? <laughs> this is not while you're... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm just asking. I'm sure everyone else listening was thinking that same thing. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> no, this is amazing. This I, I was really blown away. Uh, I put this. Nelson to sleep. Um, so I go through the whole routine, bath, you know, brush your teeth, get him in bed, read a whole bunch of books. And then when we go, I read the last book, I, I um, have it on my phone like, and it does a little bell, you know, ding. And Nelson knows I'm meditating too. So I say, okay, we're going to meditate now and go to sleep. And then he obviously just goes to sleep, but he won't go to sleep until he hears the ding. And then oh. I just do my meditation as he goes to sleep. Oh, and then bless. I get up. After. You do 12 minutes, don't you? Oh, I used to, I try to do 15 minutes 15. morning and night, yeah. but now I've got two kids. It's, it's, it's getting to find that time. So I know I can get 12 minutes in there, and I probably could stretch that to 15 minutes back yeah. out. Is but it I, transcendental meditation? Or? Well, TM talks about doing 15 morning and night, and I kind of go with that. No, I just – I don't have any set thing. I've kind of read a whole bunch of things about it, and I try to – I try different things. Yes. But it's basically just trying to turn off for 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Concentrate on my breathing. I try and I, – I'm a fan of um, – and it's not that he's ever talked about Rupert Sheldrake who wrote um, The Science Delusion and just about how that we're atomic, you know, the, the, mm. the, the matter and, you know. So I try and think that I'm like little atoms. Mm. And so atoms have energy and energy connected to our, our thoughts and minds and emotion. So I just try to get down to that. Mm. And trust, try to think about atoms in the universe, how it's all the same. And, yeah. But that's, uh, awesome. that's kooky. That's not at all. <laughs> no. that's very cool. I, I just think, you know, like he's, a, he's busy with two kids, two little kids, 
Um, and he told me this the other day, and I, I just thought, you can meditate at any time. You can, there's no excuses, is there? There's mm. no excuse not to do it. Even with two kids, you're getting that 12, 12 minutes at least, and you're teaching. You know, you're yeah, teaching yourself. The transfer effect of that is profound. It is. Yeah. And you know what else they do? They meditate swing. So Nelson gets on the swing <laughs> ah. and Marcus says to Nelson, okay, we're going to meditate swing. So Marcus closes his eyes. And I, Nelson closes you, his eyes. It was Nelson's idea first. Oh, this was wasn't it? my idea to Nelson. Oh. Nelson said, Dad, shut your eyes. And so he was swinging with his eyes shut and, he, and I'd shut my eyes and I'd try and time my hand to keep pushing him oh. uh, with my eyes shut. And then, and then it became, I started going, oh, the Tibetan <laughs> thing spinning around and uh, yeah it was great so now we do it all the time that's very cool yeah that's very cool Marcus we love you <laughs> you're just you're my other you brother guys, <laughs> <laughs> but you are such an inspiration I know I know you'll probably think that your movie is just a movie but Seriously, it is life changing, and I think you're right about a lot, particularly a lot of men out there that don't express their emotions. And that you know, it's funny. You go, you go online. There's so many women in this sort of mm. who, who are pushing this barrow, and there's not many blokes. No, no there's no. Actually, you're right. an interesting guy in Scotland, Richard Hamilton. I think his name is. Yeah. He's interesting to follow. Anyway. It's yeah, so good to get our men woken up. Yeah, it is. Oh. It is. It's about waking them up. And, Which is, is why the masturbation point was very important. <laughs> so, they'll hook in on that one. Well, now I think that's a wonderful note to end the podcast on. Right. I'll just go and relieve myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So Rush I don't know up. what the women what women are supposed to do. This is just for blokes. Oh, <laughs> so now we need to start the podcast all over again. <laughs> Because for women, you know, it might be every day. I don't know. It might be three times a day. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's three times a day instead of three times a week. Would you like to know? (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us, Marcus. It's been such a treat and such an honour to be in the company of Cindy's brother and such such an insightful soul that's just, you know, you're like a breath of fresh air. So thank you for sharing yourself with us. Thank you. It's been uber awesome. I hope that you guys, or we hope that you guys have enjoyed this podcast today. Go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments and tell us how much you love Marcus. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby, and put those little love hearts next to Let it. Let us know if your husbands agree with what he's suggesting every two or three days. Let's just see. <laughs> oh, well, no, you don't have to yeah. masturbate. The girls can help. Oh. 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 It's not just, I'm not talking about masturbation. I'm just talking about relieving. So you've got to ejaculate three times. How you ejaculate doesn't matter. It okay. can be what well, you're talking okay. about. There's a lot of women out there that will actually be thinking, let him do it himself. We're quite happy with it. However, <laughs> let's let's get this up on Facey. Let's get this on Facebook and see what's going on out there. Oh, this is going to be an interesting comment thread. Don't hold back, girls. Your secrets are safe with us. Especially well, on Facebook. And all of Facebook, yes. <laughs> You can also post your comments on all the W's dot thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. But I wouldn't be posting too much about ejaculation there because everybody's going to be seeing it. Not like Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and join us here next week on the, at the same time, on the same station, at the same channel. And join us here on Up for a Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to enjoy seeing you on the ride. Bye for now. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.